0: So welcome into the Digital Dispatch Podcast presented by Freight School Playbook. I am your host, Blythe Grimlieb, and today I am joined by businessman DeMarco Thomas. You are the founder and the owner of a company called MetroMax, who not only has dispatch services, but you also have outsourcing services as well. And today I want to really dive into sort of the lessons that we learn in all stages of life and how failure can bring us to that next level. And I lead with this because by all accounts, you're an accomplished businessman of several entities with no plans to stop. But before we dive into those successes, let's talk about a little bit about where you've been. So you were born in Montgomery, Alabama, which you call a shotgun house with seven people, one bedroom, one bath, but filled with love. And you also joined the Navy at a young age, even stationed here in Jacksonville for a few years. So how do you think those two experiences at a young age helped you obtain that business acumen that you have today?
1: Sure. So um, growing up in Montgomery, Alabama. Acumen that you have today. Sure. So um, growing up in Montgomery, Alabama, it was uh, very humbling. Uh, I was the first person in my immediate family to uh, pretty much leave Montgomery and and live in another city on their own, Hmm. 17 years old, uh, relocated to Jacksonville, Florida, part of the U.S. Navy. And um, at at that point, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of cultures. Hmm. Right. So when I moved to Jacksonville, joined the military, I met people from all different walks of life. And within my first six months in the military, I actually did a deployment uh, to the Mediterranean, where we visit about 10 different countries from Malta, Spain and Tarragona uh, to Barcelona, hmm. to Tarragona, Spain, to uh, Dubai. Right. Right. When they were you know, building up Dubai to what it is right now. And so I got the opportunity to meet some great people, um, experience some new cultures that kind of made me more wor- worldly, hmm. made me more cultured as cultures that kind of made me more wor- worldly, hmm. made me more cultured as well. Um, But also just showed me how big the world was. Right. And how much opportunity it
0: has. And it also I think working in the military or being in the military, it gives you the opportunity to work with uh, several people and really form that team environment. Is that where you, I guess, learned a lot of like leadership skills and and team building skills?
1: hundred percent leadership skills. I I was terrible in school. Mm -hmm. So the military made me more disciplined. Mm -hmm. Right. Put some rigor and some structure around me and um, just made me more focused. I was a, a operations specialist uh, when I was in um, the U.S. Navy, uh, which pretty much is the guy who navigates and plans and coordinates the tactical movements of a ship. So I had to be very strategic and thought thoughtful in my process for developing our route for pretty much traveling through the ocean and traveling through canals, interacting with uh, other freight liners that are uh, out to sea.
0: So logistics started early, then
1: very uh, <laughs> Realize that you're steering a. A, a, a vessel that has 3,000 people on it, you know, in the middle of the ocean where, you know, it's not land or in, any other help for you know, thousands of miles away. And so, um, you know, I was just a kid, 18, mm-hmm. 17 years old, kind of just, just doing a job that I thought was cool and uh, that put me in a different environment than the one I grew up in.
0: Now— a lot of people, when they join the military, they want to stay in for 20 years, get that easy retirement. What was the moment that you said, this is not for me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably about two months in. <laughs> so know, it was pretty early. <laughs> very early. Very early. So because, um, I, like I said, I wasn't used to a lot of structure uh, just growing up. So mm-hmm. um, I was used to, you know, moving at my own pace, um, kind of determining my own path of doing things in the military is very procedural. You know, everything you do has an SOP related to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a chain of command thing you do has an SOP related to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a chain of command associated with it. So that was the biggest adjustment for me, like mentally. Um, but at the same time, I needed it. Mm-hmm. I-, I needed that structure, uh, unspent to myself. Uh, but once I got in, I quickly said, okay, what can I do to get out? <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, while I was in, though, I was a I was an excellent sailor. Um, I reached the E5 in, in less than a year. <laughs> uh, the average time frame is usually about five years to hit oh, wow. E5. Uh, so once I locked in, uh, hey, I'm gonna be in here for four years. I, I pretty much gave it my all, and at the same time, I pursued education pretty uh, intensely. So by the time I um, uh, I was um, finishing my tour in the military, uh, about four and a half years later, I was already about eighty five percent done with my
0: Oh wow! Well. University of North Florida. And so, what what did you get your degree in? Uh, finance. And how did you choose finance? Um, I,
1: I've always.
0: And how did you choose finance?
1: Um, I, I've always been good at math, hmm. so the coursework was was easy. Uh, the simple answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's go yeah. where you're good at. Yeah. So with finance, so you you're in the military, then you get the, your degree in finance. How did you end up in the trucking space? Because you said it, I, I'm a businessman. I'm not a trucking guru.
1: That's that's true. So um, after I graduated from from UNF, I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, first job was as a financial analyst with a company called Compy Credit. Hmm. Worked there uh, about a year. Uh and then I moved to a company called NCR, um, which specializes in uh self-serve solutions and ATMs. Uh so you know, the self-serve checkout machines that mm. you see in Target and Walmart, uh ATMs more than likely were developed by NCR. So um that gave me exposure to two things. Uh number one, it put me in a higher finance role where um uh, with company creation. So I, I saw everything from, you know, the uh the management of people. Costs, uh, bonuses, fringes, uh, the allocation of software development across, across mm. the country. Uh, uh, and, and most importantly, I saw how they leverage outsourcing. Mm. Um, I think at that time they were maybe uh, 70% onshore. And what I mean by onshore, that's in the U.S. and 30% offshore. And uh, during my four-year ten- tenure there, I saw them move from being 70 percent onshore to almost 40 percent onshore and 60 percent offshore. Oh, wow. So and being uh, the, the finance lead for the IT department, I was in those conversations with the, the entities and the, the vendors that they use to help outsource their business. Mm. So I saw it go from ideation all the way to execution to new state and fully operational. Mm-hmm.
0: And so they're really, I guess, using a model that you would use in the future is. To, and so they're really, I guess, using a model that you would use in the future is to outsource slowly, not just all at once. hundred percent.
1: So, mm-hmm. again, you know, going through the process, but didn't really understand that, hey, I, in the future, I'm going to take this skill set and this learning and apply it to something um, that I will own and operate, which eventually happened. So I left NTR. I uh, went to Home Depot for a number of years as a regional financial manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, there I wasn't really into the numbers. I was really, uh, going into business units and determining, um, what are their weak, weak areas financially mm-hmm. and then providing solutions to that, whether it's tools, systems, outsourcing or, um, or people. You know, making management recommendations, hey, this guy ain't going to cut it mm. <laughs> or uh, or this guy needs to go to a, a finance one on one class. Right. He's a, he's a good people leader, but he's not good at uh, uh, adjusting this p and according to changes in business, adjusting this P&L according to changes in the business. Mm. At, uh, uh, changes in the business. Mm. So um, I was there about two years. And then I went to cost communication, which was my last corporate job as a as a senior finance manager. And there I I managed uh, field operations, which is the technicians that actually go into the field and install cable. So I learned a lot about logistics, again, supply chain management, um, delivery process, ETA time management, SLA uh, optimization, you know, all those different things that uh, I once I got into trucking, um, I felt comfortable. Hmm. So I guess that leads to oh, yeah the trucking, right?
0: Because I think a lot of people when they come into this industry, they come from other industries. There, there's very it's very rare that people just grow up in the trucking industry. From my experience, and and when you have that outsider's perspective, I think that that gives you it, it gives you a better grip on reality. And, you know, sometimes or did it start as like as, as soon as you decided you wanted to get into trucking, that was your full focus.
1: Hundred percent side hustle. Hmm. So, uh, childhood friend. Um, joined the tr- trucking industry out of high school. I got a CDL license, drove for a couple of big carriers, just wasn't happy, right? He started to see some of the invoices associated with some of the loads he was carrying and noticed that, hey, you know, the company is getting paid a lot of money versus the pennies on the dollar they're paying me. Hmm. So um, being, you know, I was one of his close friends in finance. Hey, do you mind looking into this? Maybe this a this is a good opportunity. So um, did, a re- did some research about three months into just the stability of transportation and logistics. That's what uh, really stuck out to me. Um, and uh, after doing some thorough research on just some of the return on investment options I had, I decided to go buy a truck. Hmm. And uh, we bought our first truck uh, April 2016. Just some of the return on investment options I had, I decided to go buy a truck. Hmm. And uh, we bought our first truck. Uh, April 2016. Um, wow.
0: What know, kind of truck was it?
1: It was a, it was a 2010 Freightliner Century. It nice. was a piece of shit. You know, excuse me. Excuse no, my you're good. This okay. is a this is a cursing <laughs> yeah, free yeah, invite or, okay. I don't know, cursing
0: encouraged, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever the nah, mood dictates. It,
1: it, was, it was trash. It, it was <laughs> it was the worst investment you could make. <laughs> um, and, and we bought it from a well-known big carrier mm. who pretty much, you know, runs trucks in the ground and sell them. I didn't know that, right? I just thought it was a you know finance guy. Look at that, Sure. It. on this. This is way below the market. Let's take this one. <laughs> like I'm investing like it's real estate or something. Like right. Go and rehab it, but you can't rehab a truck, right? You Can't build it out, right? No. So, um, so we got into it. Uh, three months, we um, we we had a budget of spending about thirty, and three months in, we were at sixty negative, mm. right? It's one just the numbers. You really have to know the business itself in terms of operations, relationships, and, and what and what are the drivers, and and what kind of deals are you actually signing related to the equipment that you are managing. Um, so, I spent the next three months pretty much cleaning all that up, hmm. and um, I literally used to walk in my office and and close the door and just work on my trucking company.
0: <laughs> so that I would imagine that that was like your first kind of because starting a business is, is tough as hell uh-huh. and so from going as, as your full-time job and you're starting this side hustle, what was your first I guess like oh shit I'm in over my head moment
1: uh it, it didn't take long How <laughs> <laughs> about three weeks in three weeks in kind of like
0: I was, the military <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, when I started to run the numbers and and bounce it against what I projected, I was so far off. That uh, I I knew I had to just dive in either I had to dive in or get out hmm. and um, being that I had you know my friend he left his you know job as a truck driver with, with a stable company to start this with us so I couldn't bail out on mm-hmm. right um, I was I was locked in and just like anything when I when I lock in I I, I usually I usually deliver so,
0: and, and knowing that do you have I guess a lesson that you wish you would have known right when you started
1: sure um, I wish Um, I'm I'm not really a a course-type person, meaning that um, I'm I'm really hands-on learning. Hmm. So I wish I would have took an internship or got some kind of mentorship where it would better prepare me to make that uh, step into transportation. Um, I think in addition to knowing exactly what I'm getting to and then leveraging the relationship that that experienced person already had, I would have been way better off and way more successful quicker. Hmm. Um, But— at the same time, I learned what not to do. And sure. I, and, and, you know, there's no better way to remember what not to do than to lose money.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: um, that, that, that helps. From
0: that perspective, you know, numbers are everything. Whenever you're starting a business, you know that. Now, when someone comes to you for outsourcing needs, because one of your verticals is outsourcing, mm-hmm. where are the common areas that they're messing up in their business?
1: um, The, the biggest thing is they haven't mastered their craft themselves. Hmm. Right. So, they would come to you wanting to leverage your back office team offshore, but they don't have the SOPs in place or how they want the outsourcing component to plug into their business. They're looking for the outsourcer to provide strategy mm. where really the outsource division is for execution. You know, you as the owner or as the company provide the strategy and they execute a coordinate strategy. So that's the, that's the biggest disconnect. I see the people who want to get into leveraging outsourcing.
0: That is a, a good topic that you bring up because I've actually had experience with working with a white label marketing agency and I let them handle the web development for a client of mine. And it was essentially a disaster mm-hmm. and a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I had to end up doing the entire website over again, lost money on the project. And that's like kind of goes back to what you said earlier. you, you, you don't really learn until you start losing money Mm -hmm. and that was a situation where i felt that i should have been better about my expectations and is that part of i guess the the process of when a company decides to to hire you for for out their outsourcing needs do you go through that strategy session with them to tell them like you this is what you need to make sure that you have an order before we even start this process
1: sure uh we have a couple of uh discovery calls where we really go through um where they're currently at, what they want to accomplish and kind of what we see as far as gaps and what they want to accomplish. Mm. And, and, and honestly, we've, we've, t- we've told a couple of clients that, Hey, we're not the best company for you, mm. or you're not ready uh, at this point to engage us simply because, you know, we want our success rate high. You know, right now we got a, a hundred percent success rate where every client project is too big for us or, or too small or outside the scope of our skill sets, And, um, we would we, we'll be upfront in, in terms of not wasting their time or money about that.
0: Now going through all of these different processes, do you have a, a lesson that you've learned the easy way? And I use quotes here because it usually like a mentor is, is coming into play. Do you have a lesson that you've learned the easy way and a lesson that you learned the hard
1: way? Uh, as far as outsourcing, what I learned the easy way is, um, hire good people. Mm. Um, and that doesn't, uh, it's not bound to just U.S.-based people or people who are offshore. You know, uh, solid uh, managers, employees, and coworkers are essential across the board. So um, what I easily learned in transition from corporate America is that if I hire people who complement my weaknesses, mm-hmm. then I usually perform well. Um, what I learned the hard way is when I and I usually perform well. Um, what I learned the hard way is is when I hire people that are similar to me and, you know, see things as I see them, normally it doesn't go to its full potential.
0: So you're not getting challenged, I guess, from your viewpoint. Exactly. Mm. You
1: know, um, I'm big on not hiring a lot of yes men, a lot of people who are going to agree with exactly my approach is. Um, I, I like to challenge people, and I like to be challenged as well because I think that's where you, you know, get the diamond out of the rough.
0: Sure. So I also heard that one of your first hires in your trucking business was a fast food worker. How do you think that those skills transfer over cuz I'm a former waitress so I feel like that has helped me in my life with with being able to talk to people, start conversations with people that I don't know, um upsell them, get a better tip, that sort of thing. Start a podcast. Exactly. That too.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: so it helps you make those connections in a way that that are I guess some other yeah. so it helps you make those connections in a way that that are I guess some other people see as unconventional. So but we, that you did the same thing as far as hiring a fast food worker Instead of hiring, you know, talent from, you know, that just graduated from a logistics school. Why did you take that route? Um, uh,
1: Experiences, um, uh, transferable skills Mm -hmm. and and coming and being being an entrepreneur who um, who didn't come from the background of traditional logistics. Right. And knowing that I can make the transition because, you know, I was determined enough, uh, smart enough to a certain level. And uh, also um, I had an open mind. So if I see just some core characteristics of a person uh, that have not let's say the direct experience but the transferable skill set, I'm, I'm willing to make that investment in them. And I'm, I'm not even though I went through the traditional education uh, program and UNF is a is a great school right I had a, a good time there um, and they don't really need the education
0: Sure. I mean, definitely, especially from, like, a people skill. If you can deal with a variety amount of people that are coming into a restaurant, um, a regular restaurant or a fast food environment, you're probably used to dealing with a lot of truckers that are going to be calling in.
1: You can adjust on the fly. Right. Um, You know how to deal with different personalities and and tempers, Mm -hmm. which is crucial, right? Because you're talking to gentlemen who own their own trucking company. And so, you know, they, they have a certain kind of macho um you know presence about them and you got to be able to know when to tone it up in terms of speaking up for yourself but sometimes tone it down and just listen
0: mm. right yeah that's key i think
1: and, and i think you you get that out of certain industries like uh like the restaurant industry
0: Right. Yeah, because it's definitely, this it's, a, a, it's a lot of stress. Yeah. <laughs> and if something goes wrong, they're going to let you hear about it, which I know a lot of drivers will do the same. Right. Now, we're, we're going to get into our next sort of seg- section and talking about, co- we're going to get into our next sort of seg- section and talking about collaboration over competition, which you are a big fan of. And you said in an interview that I don't know everything. I look to learn and there's power in numbers. Now, you obviously have already touched on the power of outsourcing at a fundamental level, mm-hmm. but what was the first light bulb moment that you said I can provide this service for other companies?
1: Um, it, it was a natural transition. Um, a friend of mine who I was networking with in transportation. Honestly, I found him. Um, I found him at a truck stop. He had a couple of units. I was there looking for a driver. Hmm. He was there serving his units, and um, I, I just introduced myself. Like I got no problem, you know, connecting with people and reaching out especially if they got some value that I'm interested in. And, uh, he was actually, uh, changing the turbo, uh, at that stop. And, you know, I was like, wow, he's changing the turbo here. Like his trucks everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, I was like, wow, he's changing the turbo here. Like his trucks everywhere, mm-hmm. like, you know, whatever. So, uh, I, you know, walked up to him, introduced myself and, um, and getting to know him. Um, I learned that, you know, he had 10 units and he was all managing it himself. And uh he had like different tic, uh tricks and tactics he used to you know coach his drivers, repair his trip uh, equipment and get certain lanes uh of freight and um that that kind of that kind of sent me down a path of um okay if I can meet ten other guys like him mm. then I'm gonna end up being him right and, and so meeting him he exposed me to another guy. Right, and another, and that guy exposed me to another guy, and I'm very good at building and maintaining relationships. Uh, I know I kind of figure out what value people are looking for, you know, and, and and friends and people they associate with, and so if I can cater to that, I cater to that, and then I will hope that same value. If I can cater to that, I cater to that, and then I will hope that same value is exchanged with me. So over time, that two year scratch, um, um, I started to. Just have people in my network who I just reached out because I had problems on the road. Like, hey, man, you know, my trailer just broke down in Wyoming and I can't find a technician. What would you do? Hmm. Um, And and so it it just started naturally. Uh, But over time, um, those natural relationships developed into something where we're communicating every other day because it's just like you become like a fraternity. And, And once I. Um, establish certain services like using offshore and to help with my dispatching, bol processes, etc. And they saw it was successful. And I was telling them about it. They wanted that same program. Mm-hmm. They wanted that same system. And so little by little, they start to trickle in. And um, I realized, like, wow, I got ten carriers that I'm supporting, and I haven't done no marketing.
0: Hmm. That's right? the power of word of mouth.
1: Power word of mouth. No marketing. Hmm. That's right? the
0: power of word of mouth.
1: Power word of mouth. And so at that point, um, me and my partner decided, hey, let's 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 really double down in a, um, in this dispatch business, make it a service offering uh, that we know is going to be well received and and, and promoted. And uh, we promoted it differently. Uh, most people who go out to carriers go directly at the carriers. Uh, I never tried to market directly at carriers. Mm-hmm. I always went at I always went to the verticals that supported carriers, like the insurance company. Right. I'll go to the insurance company and say, Hey, I know the prime reason you're in business is for uh, carriers being able to pay their, their premiums. How about you partner with me and I'll make sure that carrier earns enough revenue to pay their
2: premium? Mm.
1: Hey, factoring company, um, you don't make revenue unless carriers have loads to, you know, pick up and deliver. How about you partner with me and allow me to make sure they have loads to pick up and deliver?
0: So talk to me about the the outsourcing process of what did you feel like initially you could absolutely outsource? And then what was something that you wanted that you wanted to keep control of? Sure.
1: So um, I thought the admin side, like uh, invoicing, driver settlement, payroll, um, that was it, it was nonverbal in terms of not customer facing, mm-hmm. not talking to drivers and owners. So I thought all of the nonverbal verbal Functions could be uh, replaced, whether that's technology or offshore manually uh, using my team, which we done, which we did easily. That was that was an easy transition. After we kind of mastered that, um, my partner, actually, I got to credit him for this. He said, um, I think we can dispatch offshore, too. I think that our um, our agents, our VAs that are are in India can speak directly to drivers uh, and brokers and shippers. Uh, find freight and, and communicate it and, and get them. Served. Um, I doubted that because uh, trucking is a very blue collar industry.
0: That was going to be my next question right. is how did you get any kind of pushback? Because I would imagine that there was a little.
1: Well, I did. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But um, luckily I had my own fleet of trucks. Hmm. So I started internally first and I saw how my drivers, uh, how, how receptive they were. Right. And kind of what they looked for. Was the accent. Was it the accent? Right. Or was it the knowledge? Hmm. It could be, could be a combination of both, but it could be one or the other. And what we ultimately determined that even though there was a, a slight accent, I mean, most of the agents that I hire, they work for Expedia, uh, you know, Amazon, um, uh, you know, Chase Bank. They, they come from a customer service background supporting those industries in India already. So the workforce and the talent pool is already there. Mm. But what I had to train them on was transportation, right? The lingo. The slang, you know, 10-4.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Little <laughs> things like, like that.
1: Yeah. That
0: would be tough to, I mean, even cultural lingo is. Correct.
1: Correct. So it was really uh, get, getting them over the language barrier and the the trucking lingo was the biggest challenge. And that took some time, right? And it took some trial and error, just to be honest. But but um, after a couple of months of doing it internally myself, I, I saw we scrub gold, mm. right? And, and at that point, and establishing the database, right? You know, we we got a database of commonly used words, terms, um, you know, training uh, that we take a dispatcher through before we actually put them in production. And so.
0: So why, why India and not, you know, a a lot of, you know, other offshore, near shore, near shore companies. um, They're going to like South America, Colombia, Brazil. Um, Why India and not, you know, a a, near shore company?
1: Uh, Two reasons. Number one is um, my partner in Metro Max is Indian. He's from India, born and raised. Uh, so that relationship and connection was hmm. easy in terms of starting a business there, starting a business there, uh, getting reliable people and um, and driving it. Um, the second thing is, uh, I mean, there, there, there's been outsourced operations out of India for decades, right? So there is a well-developed talent pool. Uh, everything from the, the education system pushing them to making you know English a common language because you know a lot of American companies actually employ here. Uh, it was a wide talent pool, and, and so with that big of a talent pool and, and skill set as well, and success in outsourcing for decades, I couldn't see myself going against that. Mm. You know, there, there are other nearshore country uh, countries and companies that are starting to rise in the space um but but i think the infrastructure in india is just better you know infrastructure in terms of internet right like, which is crucial
0: because they right. talk about how that's going to be the next big has had its run for, for a while and probably still will be on a, a very good run. But India is the next one as far as like telecoms and yeah. companies setting up there. Any plans to or do you currently have, you know, dispatching, you know, trucks in, in India itself or just in the U.S.?
1: So um, just in the U.S. But um, right now we have 75 associates in India mm. that, that that supports the various companies that. I run as well as the companies of our clients, right? Um, And we recently just hired a software development team because that's kind of the phase I want to get into. I want to get into freight tech. Mm -hmm. That's a hot, hot niche. It is. And um, being someone who's worked operationally within logistics, I see a lot of opportunities for technology to come in and make things more efficient and optimized. And so we hired a tech team, but not only to do tech within logistics in the U.S., but also look at opportunities in India. Mm. And so now I'm starting to you know look at those ventures. But there's a lot of I mean small things like like Uber, right? You know, there's no Uber in India. Hmm. but there is in uh, I mean there is a, a form of Uber that's there. Uh, but it's it's not it's not as developed or as advanced. So it's, it's a lot of opportunities there.
0: And you touched on on freight tech, which has just been exploding in the industry over the past couple of years. It feels like new companies are popping up every other day. Mm-hmm. Is there any new tech that you see that really excites you that as far as like operational concerns or even, you know, marketing and sales, um, any kind of new tech that's entered entered the space?
1: Uh, I think um, I think digital brokering mm. has been a game changer, like what you see with. Uh, Uber Freight, Convoy, Transfix is doing, um, that actually uh, impacts my dispatching business, right? Mm. Um, Because they go directly to the carrier, which removes a dispatcher, removes a broker. Um, And it can go straight from ship to the carrier if they want to, uh, digitally. Um, So I I think that's a a very uh, disruptive industry that a lot of people get into. TMSs. With, with a lot of the changes in federal laws and regulations and you know logistics just becoming more complicated, I think TMSs are, are very hot right now. Um, so it's, it's really like looking at those platforms. E- either you make something that's completely different from them or you just see a gap that they have and, and capitalize on that.
0: Which is a few, which is with a lot of TMSs. They they seem like they want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. And so th- that's my experience with with a lot of I guess the older school TMS systems is it, it's it's frustrating to say the least. Mm-hmm. Especially when they start getting into like the marketing world, and I'm like, well, they're doing that wrong, they're doing this wrong, and so you kind of you kind of start like picking it apart. Um. But your your business requires a lot of people management, both offshore and here in the states. Now, now, 2020 being sort of as crazy as it's been, tackled the remote work life, um, the mental health aspect um, the, uh, throughout, you know, just all of 2020. It's been a huge mental health challenge. How How have you guys tackled that?
1: Um, well, my team in any I mean, we've always worked virtually. <laughs> so it was no adjustment in terms of uh, repositioning my team in different places uh, from not working into the well. The only change was even though we were virtual from the U.S. to India, uh, the biggest change was the fact that we couldn't even be in the same Indian facility anymore. Right. Just like here. Right. Uh, most businesses and offices shut down. Sure. So people were working from home. So I just had to make sure everyone had the, the right connectivity. Right. To, to pretty much operate on their laptop or uh, that, that was the biggest adjustment, I think. Making sure people have the right uh, data usage and, and pipes within their private residencies. In order to support your business and, and and making sure they have the right computers as well. I mean, we had some laptops. We didn't have a, a lot of <laughs> video chatting, right? Right. And, and 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 that became our norm. Now is to you know use Microsoft Teams or or Zoom to conduct meetings with clients and uh, each other as, as, in terms of internal development. So I, I would think the biggest change for us was really just embracing technology, um, not just um, through standard operations but through just normal interactions as well. And from a mental health standpoint, we just we started doing virtual happy hours, man. Mm. You know, we 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 would meet every Friday. Uh everybody, you know, somebody would give a recommendation for drinks for the for this Friday and everyone would try to secure those drinks and we would have drinks and and just talk about everything that didn't involve the company. Mm, talk about that's family, key Uh talk about uh COVID nineteen you know, whatever was going on in the news But we made it a point not to talk about trucking and logistics mm. And so for us, that was a like a forced mental break every week And uh, it allows us to recharge uh, It allows us to recharge But most importantly, get to know each other uh, I mean, with so many team members that I have It's hard to, you know, meet Number one, meet every one of them uh, But number two, have the time to really uh, dedicate to knowing them personally And with... Uh, coronavirus, I mean, when it first um, launched and we first had the, uh, the announcements in terms of shutdowns, I think March and April, we pretty much can not really go anywhere. So I had all the time in the world <laughs> just to sit back and call people and, and get to know them. Mm. So it was kind of a blessing and a curse. But with, with me with me knowing them, um, I knew how to better utilize and position them too. Right. So over the last couple of months, it's certain people that were doing some roles that Either I transitioned them to other roles because I catered to their strengths or I knew they desired it and they were capable. And I, you know, put them in position to succeed in that area.
0: From a mental health perspective, how did did you guys, I guess, how did you guys, I guess, tackle that culturally with the employees over in India? Is there any differences or is it really just connecting with people? It's
1: just connecting with people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, mentally, people just felt alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for us, we just made sure the lines of communication was open. Like uh, we, we run a twenty four seven operation, even though we can't, I can't be available twenty four seven. Sure, we made time to be available as needed, and and we did we did checks. And like I said, since you had more time in the day because you sent idle in one place, it allowed us to check on each other more often. So I think um, checking on each other allowed us to to pretty much get through
0: it. Yeah, definitely, it's it's important to have those. You don't realize until something like COVID hits how important those little like water cooler conversations are. Really, it's it's the and those interactions that you have on a daily basis without even meaning to. So being purposeful with your interactions, I, I probably went a long way with a lot of your employees. Of course. Now switching gears a little bit to the last mile, which is uh, is it a new venture for you guys?
1: Amazon delivery service partner deal. Um, so years ago, Amazon launched the Sprinter vans, the branded Sprinter vans, which you are probably seeing on every corner now yep. driving around the city. Um, and just recently they launched the branded box trucks, hmm. which are the 16 foot and 24.
0: I just saw those for the first time the other day. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're less than probably a year launched. Uh, Jacksonville was one of the first. It was
0: running at 10 PM at night. I was like, "Woof, they are working hard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, um. I lunch with them, and uh, it just opened my eyes because I'm I'm from the over the road trucking, um, as far as fleet ownership and dispatch management and back office support. And so this was my first time getting into a business where uh, the driver didn't require C D L. Mm. Um, they were home every night. Um, they touched packages. You know, most of the the uh, freight that I support is, is non touch. So they actually you know touching packages. Um, so we started there with them in August with about five units. We're about at 20, you know, most of the, the, uh, freight that I support is, is non-touch. So they actually, you know, touching packages. Um, so we started there with them in August with about five units. We're about at 27 units now. Um, and honestly, I kind of fell in love with that model. Hmm. Uh, because if you look at the trucking industry, the biggest challenge with over the road trucking, in my, in my opinion, It's driver recruitment and driver retention. Yes. Right. CDL drivers.
0: It's like $90,000 in order to onboard a driver. And then if you lose them within six months, you just like light money on fire.
1: It's expensive. And um, not even the big carriers have been able to solve it. They have pretty much the same attrition rate.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, And so I, I said, okay, I love transportation, but I would love to get in an environment where I have a better control and retention on the people who are behind the wheel. And last mile has afforded that afforded that to me uh, because the biggest thing I I, I know about being over the road is um body life just like any other profession, and so now I have the opportunity that if you're over the road with me, you get tired and you want to you know spend more time at home, you can you know get into box trucks and you know deliver and be home every day.
0: So being able to have that additional option helps the rest of your business function even better.
1: Hundred percent, it, it provides some flexibility,
0: and so with. Amazon coming into the scene for a couple years now. A lot of logistics professionals were scared to death that this would be the end of their company. But you've sort of embraced that. How have you embraced that, and why have you embraced you know such a big company that could potentially replace you one day?
1: Um, I mean, the only thing constant is change, right? Mm. So, um, if if I'm a if they're winning, why wouldn't I go and win with them?
2: Mm. <laughs> true <laughs> you know, super team <laughs>
1: yeah why, why why would i go against a winning formula that they've shown for the last couple of years right and and at the same time i, I can learn right so when i got into the amazon deal I, I i pretty much learned a lot about trucking and operational procedures that i did not know in running my over the road and dispatch business that i then implemented in them.
0: what were some of those lessons
1: uh the biggest thing was uh, compliance, mm. right? Their compliance is A1 at Amazon and the way they monitor it and the systems they use. I just didn't have exposure to those mm. systems, right? You know, a billion-dollar company, they had plenty of time to research exactly what systems do what and what how they need to be implemented and put in place to successfully run your business. So I, I pretty much had to have the opportunity to learn their infrastructure. And I can use that infrastructure, you know, in multiple ways outside of Amazon if – you know, it, that becomes the route I need to go at some point.
0: Now, outside of Amazon, the last mile is probably the last. I would say last mile in reverse logistics is probably the trickiest part of the industry right now. Where do you think that most companies outside of Amazon are falling short?
1: Um, I think, well, I think most companies are embracing it. I mean, if you see Walmart, they embrace it. I recently um signed a partnership last 30 days that's why I'm in Jacksonville right nice. now. I got a two for one. I got the <laughs> pleasure of meeting you. That's
0: right. You uh, came down here just for this interview. <laughs> but And one, Walmart one. is the bonus. <laughs> and,
1: and yeah, and that's the bonus. I you know, my partner down here, uh Chris Bright, uh, he he actually uh started running a lot of freight through through sprinter vans uh, just because of e-commerce demand. Um, and, and so uh, we got into the sprinter van business about 30, 30 days ago in Atlanta and in Jacksonville, Florida. And it's purely driven by e-commerce, right? You, you see, Target embracing it, Walmart's embracing it, um, Kroger's embracing it. Uh, uh, Bath and Beyond has embraced it fully, <laughs> right? They've pretty much closed a lot of their brick and mortar locations, and and they're mostly just selling online. Wow! And, and what's crazy is they're they're selling the same amount of volume. Hmm. And so, as a CEO, you got to think: Why would I need a brick and mortar generating just as much income with lower overhead and you know, low, you know, lower assets to manage? Sure. And so, um, I think most retailers are shifting to that. And the ones that haven't and did not embrace it, they're they're kind of suffering right now.
0: So. I heard an interesting theory that for a lot of like different malls around the country, they're going to be hit big as far as, you know, just people losing that brick and mortar um, asset at the malls or at these other different locations. Do you think do you see any kind of opportunity where uh, this theory in particular said that uh, it could be a distribution center and it could be a retail shop because people still like to come in and they want to be able to try clothes on. They want to be able to touch the merchandise. Um, So there's a theory that you could have that environment set up in like a staging area and then they can submit the order and then pick it up at the at the pickup distribution spot at that retail location. Sure.
1: I, I think you, you still have a combination of both, uh, but I, I don't think you can be just a brick and mortar. Right. You still have a combination of both, uh, but I, I don't think you can be just a brick and mortar. Right. You know, I, I definitely think you got to have some kind of online presence and platform. And with the, with the growth in internet sales, like you said, it's a big boom in warehousing. I think warehousing expecting to grow 20% year over year for the next couple of years uh, just because of e-commerce, boom. And people have, have embraced it. You know, I, I was telling Chris uh, this uh, yesterday at dinner when we were there with a couple of people we do business with. Uh, my, my father's, you know, 70 plus, And, you know, before COVID-19, he ordered nothing online. He walked right into Walmart or Kroger's and looked at it and bought it. And that's the only thing he trusts. Hmm. That's the only thing he believed in. And now you can't even pay him to go to a store. (laughs) (laughs) He orders everything online.
0: It's wild to see how fast that has been expedited. Mm -hmm. That Just changing all of our habits from getting used to taking a mask with you Mm -hmm. when you get into the car or get out of the car um, to just buying everything. Mm -hmm. That Just changing all of our habits from getting used to taking a mask with you Mm -hmm. when you get into the car or get out of the car um, to just buying everything online. It's kind of wild. Yeah.
1: And, and even these last-mile delivery companies, they're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you see the announcements from FedEx, UPS, Amazon, they're putting caps on shipments. They're saying that, hey, there's so much demand coming in that we can only deliver a certain amount per day to certain areas.
0: And it, it kind of hitting on that with, I mean, it's a, a huge capacity crunch right now. Uh, we have the record e-commerce deliveries. We still have everybody staying home because of COVID. Uh, well, most people staying home. And then um, we have also the COVID-19 vaccine being shipped out. That's creating even tighter capacity. So how have you guys, how has Metro Max been able to identify those last mile opportunities?
1: Um, uh, really? We, we, we've just tried to pivot to the big retailers. Hmm. Right. If if they are putting caps on these retailers, then obviously these retailers have enough volume that if we put our assets and align our assets to them, it's a, it's a winning formula and um, it's some longevity in that business. So we, we we have been focusing on developing relationships with you know retailers like the Amazons, the WalMarts, the targets
0: because they don't have the fleets to be able to handle all this capacity. Exactly. So where else would they come to is exactly. companies like yours
1: it's where third party last mile logistics wins Oof. and thrives.
0: So from a, a people and a tech perspective, what are the most important investments anyone working in last mile should make? Uh,
1: I think you should come in people wise. <clears throat> uh, I think you should come in with a strong operations manager, right? Um, someone who, uh, knows how to lead operationally, but also identify systems to put in place uh, to make that operational oversight more fluid. Mm. Right. Last mile delivery. It's a lot of transactions, a lot of transactions, a lot of packages you're delivering. There's a lot of touch points in terms of customers. And, and you need the right systems in place to, number one, monitor the equipment, monitor the speed of the vehicle, monitor that the delivery actually happened and monitor Uh, the driver's overall performance in terms of um, what's the package actually received, are they they scanning it properly, Um, you know, avoiding theft, things of that nature. So, you know, you need those systematic tools and the leadership operationally to implement them.
0: And so from, I guess, a a tech perspective as well, is there anything that uh, companies can do better Is there anything that I guess from a tech perspective that is missing that you would like to see or is that is absolutely crucial in order to run those operations?
1: I know two things, but since I, 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 you know, hired a tech team, I can't tell you. Sure.
0: (laughs) That's in (laughs) Um, the works. (laughs) Yeah,
1: But um, I I will say this. I would say technology wise is uh, very focused on uh, over the road trucking is mature. It's something that's been going on for decades. So IT wise, you know, a lot of companies tend to focus on that. But last mile delivery is new, right? And it's growing. And they have just as many opportunities and challenges, if not more, mm. than over the road. And so I, I would say from an IT perspective, you know, last mile is kind of where you want to focus on. Especially uh, if you have people like Walmart and Amazon saying they're putting distribution centers, you know, every 200 miles. Then what does that do to over road trucking? Just it minimizes it. Right. So, and autonomous driving, right? You know, if you get a uh, self-driving vehicle that can do a straight shot from Jacksonville down I-10 to San Francisco, staying in one lane, going one speed, it's possible.
0: How far off do you think self-driving trucks are?
1: Um, I, th- I think maybe in the next decade. Hmm. Uh, uh, but I definitely see them seeing see them running from long interstate patterns like down I-10 or down I-20 or up 95, and then get to a point where they're exiting and then another carrier grabs the the trailer at that point and delivers it last mile to the facility. Right? What
0: about drones? Do you think drones have a, a a place in last mile delivery?
1: I think they do. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you uh you, you have a couple of people that are that are testing um you know uh Rover robots, right, in order to deliver packages.
0: I've seen that. I've seen, like, motorized, like, bicycles, too, where the the driver is on a bicycle and he's pedaling that around. What a workout.
1: (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) But, again, that's demand, right? Demand drives innovation. So it's so much demand now that, you know, people are looking outside of uh, just a normal workforce into technology just to get things done.
0: And I think it matters too, as far as like the, the landscape of the city, like the Metro area, as far as like the, the landscape of the city, like the Metro areas, like you were saying, if you can't get these big ass trucks in there, you got to be able to find other different solutions. I just mm-hmm. think it's going to be crazy. If we look up in the sky and just see a bunch of drones flying everywhere, yeah. dropping packages off. Right, <laughs> We're just going to start, you're just going to have guns shooting in the air, right. taking down the drones. That's going to be the new porch pirates. All right. Now, switching gears a little bit again into sort of the, your personal inspiration. But before we get into, I guess, a little bit of the inspiration, um, your Instagram handle is Ask DeMarco. So we got to know what's the, the uh, I guess, the most important piece of advice that you find yourself repeating at an annoying rate that people just uh, haven't listened to.
1: Should I get into trucking? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so broad, right? Right. Um, you know, I think that's a question of self first. Um, but secondly, I think is, I think research answers that question. Mm. I think if you, if you research, uh, different and say, okay, what part of transportation would that, best suit is it the relationship part, or maybe I should be a broker, right? I love talking to people. I'm good at negotiating deals or uh, I'm very good at operational and leading people. So maybe I should be on the asset side. So I think you got to self-assess first and then based on your self-assessment, determine which of those niches make sense for you.
0: And then, uh, based off of your earlier advice, hire somebody that isn't
1: the same as you. <laughs> correct, correct. Hire somebody that balances you out.
0: True. Yeah. Now, from a content perspective, you you uh, with your Instagram page, you focus on a lot of business quotes and quotes from from you that mm-hmm. y- you give out to people. Now, I want to know where do you find inspiration from a sports perspective, a music perspective, and a business perspective?
1: Uh sports, big Michael Jackson. I'm sorry, not Wait, person. wait. Uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> big big Michael Jordan fan. Um, you know, was born and raised watching him, Chicago's my my favorite team. And so I just get the grit and determination for him, right? And um uh, I'm sure you
0: watched that documentary. Of course. Yes.
1: <laughs> of course. Everyone did. What right? was
0: your favorite part from the documentary?
1: Um Flu game, you yes. know. Um, <laughs> you know, even ill, uh, you know, performing at a high level mm-hmm. and, and carrying his team. And that's the kind of leader that I, I look to be. And I, I, I try to be every day, you know, I don't really let my personal uh, endeavors stop my business from functioning and stop my team from succeeding. So I, I, I kind of cherish that. Um, is that music?
2: Yeah. Music,
0: music and business. I
1: mean. um, music. I would say Jay-Z. Yeah. Hmm? Um, He's someone who you know come from a colorful background uh, a challenged urban background uh similar to myself but was able to pivot and become a force in in the industry that he uh he consumed you know he went from a consumer consumer to an owner consumer to an owner and so um i, I appreciate and respect that
0: hmm. and now from i guess from a business perspective too maybe he would fall into that category
1: uh yeah he definitely falls in there from uh, from a business perspective from from a even from a business I'm, I'm new in business right i mean i've only been out of corporate america about uh, about three years uh so as far as entrepreneurs i have like little like like many mentors you know it's like little pieces of certain people that i take from them and i like and i kind of build my own mentor if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> and um and i love podcasts uh i i don't really read a lot of books mm-hmm. i think if you find that person on a podcast and listen to them you can pretty much get a whole summary of his book
0: <laughs> exactly I, i'm a cliff notes kind of person right. i have stacks of books that i want to read that i'm never gonna never read.
1: do never do and so um I, I spend a lot of time um on podcasts around around niches or areas that i'm interested in so i listen to, i listen to a lot of transportation podcasts. You know, yours would be top of list now. Now that I'm yes. here, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we made and, it. Right, <laughs> and um, but but different things. If I'm interested in real estate, then I'll start listening to Bigger Pockets mm. and other, you know, real estate focused podcasts. And so, um, that's been a good source for for learning for me. Right, I, I'm not the, the traditional guy who uh, read a book for hours. Uh, like you say, I buy them. And then I just
0: sit there. I, see, I feel like it's my, personally speaking, it's attention span. Yeah. It's, I can read probably a hundred internet articles a day, but to sit down and read a book is an impossibility. It's right. not going to happen. You can't pay me to do it. Yeah. I like, I'll start, I'm like, oh, this is good. And then I'll never pick it up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So you sort of mentioned about the lessons that you've learned from other people, but what is one thing that you did plan for? It heartbreakingly didn't work out, but now that you look back on it, you're thankful it didn't work out,
1: um, um, I would say, let me think about this one a little bit. I say the one thing that didn't work out that uh, I'm glad it was was a partnership. I was trying to do in trucking, so I, I knew a guy. He had a larger fleet than mine, but I'm I'm way more mathematic and way more operational inclined to him. But he had a lot of great relationships when it mm-hmm. came to freight. Right, freight pays bills, so. <laughs> More loads. This this, (laughs) this guy is good at going into shippers and getting them to buy into his business and and getting freight. But once he gets the freight, in terms of managing his assets and managing the financials associated, he's not good. Mm. Maybe we're a good balance. And um, I kind of pursued him, right? And uh, the deal didn't materialize simply because of of, of one reason: Um, um, he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't outsource. Right. And that so, was
0: his hard line in the sand.
1: That was his hard line in the sand. It caused me to question why I was outsourcing. Like, hey, man, am I going to lose other deals like this because the person on the other end may be, uh, may be a little ignorant about outsourcing and not willing to embrace it? Should I really just calm down on the outsourcing thing and not mention it as much in terms of how I do my operations and how I structure my businesses? Uh, but, um, I mean, two years later, I'm still here. Hmm. And he's not. Mm. And so, but at that time, checkmate, checkmate. (laughs) (laughs) And So, you know, at at that time, it kind of crushed me, though, because I I thought I was going to be able to propel to another level uh, with his skill set and his resources. Um, But it it just shows me that, hey, what's what's meant for you is, is meant for you. Sure. You know, if that doesn't work out, continue down your path. And over time, it will work out.
0: So you you said your biggest strength, obviously, so far, if everybody is still listening to this podcast, is that your biggest strength is thinking outside of the, of the change that's happened so quickly and drastically this year.
1: Um, number one, I embrace it. You know, as soon as it happened, they're going to shut down the economy. I, I went into full, OK, it's never going to open again. Right. So let me build my business based on it never opening again.
0: So you thought from the beginning, it's not going to open.
1: I, I knew it eventually would. Right. But not this Wait two weeks, not, not two weeks. Mm-hmm. No way. Right. It was just it was too much panic. Right. And so uh, me and my partner, we just decided to, to design our business around essential goods, essential needs, essential shipping. Right. Uh, relationships that we know if the economy shuts down. You no, know, people may stop buying toys, but they're not going to stop buying water. Hmm. Right? So, um we we pivoted and started to focus on those areas and uh and, and we made our team more technology inclined. I, I think everybody started to embrace technology a lot more, right, with they sure 19 <laughs> But we put a budget to the to the side for it, right? Instead of just saying, "Hey, we're going to do more in the in technology." It's like, "No, we're going to go and get the best tools, the best systems, some system engineers, some software engineers." And we're just going to make sure that virtually we have a strong uh, foundation.
0: Because you guys already had the experience working with the India team. Mm-hmm. So it, it probably helped you in the long run to get the U.S.-based team there faster.
1: It did. Like, you know, we the resource pool and talent we was, was tapping in was just different, right? You know, their skill set was more um, customer service, accounting, uh, process management, process associates, uh, those kind of skills, whereas the IT skills Um, A little more expensive skill set, definitely more expensive, uh, but um, harder to actually lock down and recruit. But what happened was a lot of American companies shut down. And so those resources became available. Right. And then uh, financially, they became more acceptable to And then uh, financially, they became more acceptable to working with a company like mine's. And so for us, it was a perfect opportunity for us to go in and snatch up talent. And that's what we did.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's like securing the talent as soon as like a maybe like a team folds and, you know, yep. you're one of the first ones in there. Let me I, I, let me get the best players. Right. And
1: I think that's what most companies should do. And and some of them did do that. Right. When a company fold, they went in there and got the best players. When a company fold, they went in there and got their best assets, you know, the best trucks, mm-hmm. the best trailers. And if they made those investments then right, right now, they're doing extremely well. Right. Because them assets are being Fully utilized because freight is just booming, right? So, and, and truck prices are through the roof right now. And you can't even find a trailer to buy at a reasonable price. You know, but, there's, there's a backlog in trailers and truck orders right now.
0: And so how does that affect, I guess, the the ownership versus the leasing market? Because you're you're really stern on leasing trucks, not owning. Uh,
1: I think leasing just provides you a lot of more flexibility. So uh, during, when COVID first hit, even the leasing companies took a big hit, right? And so... You had companies like Penske and Ryder who had requirements like you had to be in business two years. Mm-hmm. You had to have a $10,000 deposit Waving them. That mm-hmm. was waiving all those requirements and just giving you trucks and trailers because it's better to take the risk and give it to you. Um, if you don't meet those certain criterias, then it's just sitting on the lot for months. True. So now um, I think, you know, if you're getting in the game now and you don't have those same relationships, it's, it's kind of tough to get equipment right now. You're paying a premium for it. Um I think the guys who kind of stayed with some of those vendors during the bad times, they're top of the list. Hmm. And so, you know, you you may make a call to Penske or Ryder, they don't have any equipment. Well, I may make a call and they go find the equipment, whether it's in Atlanta or in a surrounding city or state.
0: That's wild. It's a good, it's a good business to be in, but it, like you said, you have to be able to embrace that change. And, and speaking of embracing the change, we've seen a lot of it. 2020 is a year that a lot of people want to run from. A lot of businesses have failed. Insurance rates are crazy. It's tough for a lot of the little guys to stay afloat. So what tactics have worked for you that others can use in 2021?
1: Um, uh, you can control your costs, but you can't control your revenue. Mm. So uh, I'm, I'm very big into controlling my costs. I spend a lot of time to make sure my, my, my infrastructure is cost effective and my dollars are going in the right place. Um, and then I, of course, try to maximize my, my revenue and then my margins between determine the success of my, my company. So, uh, I I think going into 2021, number one, you got to take the the lessons from, um, uh, you know, COVID-19 into play. Uh, but you also just got to look at ways to embrace technology. I think if you're a company and you don't have a brace technology, I think if you're a company and you don't have a technology budget, you send yourself out to
2: fail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I didn't have one until COVID-19.
0: And you had to make one and <laughs> you made one. one. <laughs>
1: and now I, we live living by one. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, before we go, do you have anything else that you're working on or anything else, a piece of advice, maybe a little nugget of advice that you want to leave with people?
1: Yeah. Um, as far as working on, um, we uh, I've kind of honed my chops in the, the asset based side and the services based side of transportation. And now we're really doubling down going into 2021 into uh, software development and uh, business process outsourcing for other businesses in transportation. So really focus on. Um, building a sales team to pretty much um uh, bring those services to market mm. uh,
2: uh,
1: as far as nuggets uh i think logistics is where you want to be i think logistics showed how powerful it was during covid 19 logistics showed how powerful it was during covid 19 where you know we supplied a lot of families with the supplies they need to still um, live comfortably within their home you know um the hat should be off to the truck drivers and you know everybody back office who kind of supported that whole initiative. Uh, and most importantly, I think it showed that if you want to be in a stable business that can uh, move regardless of what's going on in, in the economy financially or what's going on in healthcare-wise, logistics where we want to be.
0: Absolutely, people always need stuff shipped. And truck drivers have proven their worth this year, even more so this year, going through everything with e-commerce and COVID vaccines and all that good stuff. Well, where can they find more of your work? Where can they find you and MetroMax?
1: Sure. So um, MetroMax, so we have three entities. (laughs) We have MetroMax Express, uh, which is my last mile company. We're on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Same with MetroMax Dispatch. Looking for some entertaining content. Go to Metro Max Dispatch Instagram. <laughs> um, I'm definitely uh, big on uh, LinkedIn, um, so uh, definitely follow me or uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, also, I have a, a small Instagram profile as well. So uh, we're, we're on all social media platforms, and you know we, we're, we're here to network with people uh, that can help us get to the next level, and also that we can uh, provide assistance to as well from a, from a business and a services standpoint
0: absolutely well well. thank you so much for your time today you you personally flew in for this interview only nothing else That's so it. we appreciate your time and uh we look forward to watching you